I want to share with you, as we are in Proverbs, we've been going through Proverbs 1 through 9, that there's a kind of literature, and I'm not here Proverbs, but there's a kind of literature that um, is what is called the hero and the quest literature, if you may be familiar with that type of genre. And, 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 and if you were, in, maybe you went to college and you read one of these, one of the, um, it's not only in all cultures, it goes back into ancient literature, um, the Odyssey is one of those hero quest stories where Odysseus, this guy who is the man of twists and turns, um, defeats monsters and then overcomes temptations in order to become the hero. That same kind of story is portrayed in different literature, the Knights of the Holy Grail, where Sir Percival loses his horse and he meets this timid maiden in the forest and then is cast on his journey of temptation after temptation. There are actual modern-day Stories in movies that are kind of this journey of the hero. Anybody want to shout out one? I'm kind of half deaf in one of yours. You got to shout it loud. Okay, what else? Any others? Okay. Here is some, whether I heard you or not. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Star Wars. The Matrix. Spider-Man. The Lion King. And the Lord of the Rings trilogy are all stories of a hero. And you're probably wondering why I'm sharing this. Because in the story of the hero are common elements. They defeat a monster. Often, in this sense, the peril that faces them isn't necessarily, in literature, it's this kind of outward kind of monster. But usually, it is more the kind of wounds or the limitations or fears that they have in themselves that somehow they have to conquer in order to get to a place to be this heroic character. And then there's a second peril that often happens in these kind of stories. In this story, there is these temptations that come their way. And the temptations is kind of the second peril. It's the peril of being seduced by our desires and motivations into a place that where we would actually substitute the real prize for the cheap substitute. All right? And, and, and so all these stories have this similar kind of um, idea going on so that somehow as they're going along, their self-indulgence kind of gives in and gets sidetracked often forever from becoming that hero or has the possibility of that rather than the ability to hear wisdom and to walk with the sense of discipline and development of their character so that they can build in here what is necessary for whatever is out here. And, and all these stories have that kind of journey where there is this wise, courageous, admired person who overcomes trials and temptations. I say this because if you read Proverbs 1 through 9, it's a very interesting manual. The, the goal that we're told of in Genesis is that all people would walk with God so that they could live in shalom and they would know peace in their heart and their, their being. There would be a sense that as they go through this life, as they face those inner demons, so to speak, and the monsters that are, are their limitations and whatever else might get in the way, they would also face that second peril, which is their desires and their indulgences and the things that would cause them and keep them from getting to the person who becomes a character who is wise and who walks with God in this life and forever. And we see this ultimately played out in what we would all consider to be the true hero, the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. 
And you see temptations and you see the monsters of legalism and all the other things that seek to keep him from becoming all that God had called him to be so that he could do the work that he was called to do. And, and Proverbs 1 through 9 is, is what I call a manual for anyone who wants to walk with God to be wise, to develop the kind of character in life that allows for God to to prepare you and to cause you to be all that he has ever intended for you to be and to be able to walk into, I believe every person in God's eyes has a destiny and he wants you to move into it. And so through courage and obedience to God, you gain wisdom, overcome these things and, and become really like Jesus. A few weeks ago, uh, Bruce shared with us in Proverbs 5, just a few chapters back, about this um, story, and, and, and you'll see the same thing in this chapter in 7, when we look at the story of an adulteress, this idea that in that day, and many Bible preachers and teachers will, will just center on this whole idea of adultery. It's a story and illustration, and I want you to hear that. And, and I, Bruce was so uh, did such a great job of this. He, he said this chapter, chapter 5, ultimately is what captivates your heart. And that's an easy illustration, that of a promiscuous woman or an adulterer or something like that, to kind of show how hearts are captured. But the word um, captivate is is really um, this root word, capture. And as he asks that question, what captivates your heart? Well, you get to chapter 7, the question now is going to be this. How do you handle the temptations that seek to capture you? The goal of temptation is to capture you and trap you with one purpose, and that is to destroy you and to keep you from what God would like you to experience in this life, this sense of shalom in his presence where you walk with him. Proverbs 7 is God's wisdom as we face temptation. And so as you read through this, you'll see in this story, it'll be broken down in three different sections. One of the stories will be an illustration. It'll again be about adulteress or the promiscuous woman, more uh, to term. And again, when we think about that, I want you to recognize one of the reasons that is used is throughout history, sexuality and sexual urges are such powerful drives. But, but really, what's underneath all these drives, which makes every temptation similar, is this deep desire to be known and loved. God has placed that in every one of our hearts. And so if you look at Genesis and go to the first chapter, all that's created, and then you go to the second chapter, which is this kind of, um, kind of you kind of zero in on the creation of, of man and woman, and you see this creation of, of the, these two, mankind being made in his image, and then you see this picture of man, and he's, he's looking for someone who would know him and love him, and so he's going through all the animals, and eventually God brings before him, out of his rib, takes from his side uh, this woman, and Adam is standing there, and when he sees her, he goes, Wow! Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is incredible. I mean, dog looked good, best man's best friend, but not like this. And so what you get is this picture here, and it ends with this, and and you have to pay attention to how chapters end. Chapter 2, verse 25 ends with these words. They, Adam and Eve, were both naked, and they felt no shame. They were fully exposed with one another, known. And even with all that, they loved each other deeply. 
there was no shame. And I wanted to make this point as this part of the introduction right from the very beginning because when we talk about temptation, the thing that will keep you trapped in temptation, the thing that will keep you in a place where you are captured is shame. And we need to be really clear about that. It is shame that is hidden that keeps us trapped because we don't want people to know or to see or we don't want to be exposed. And it will eat you alive. It will, it will haunt you and, and, and go after you and continue to cause you to spiral deeper and deeper into that trap. And so understanding this is essential. It is the number one emotion and state that keeps a person trapped in temptation. And I say that because I want you to recognize that as a church, as a pastor, as I speak around this today, and I hope always, it is not to in any way come in and to deal with people harshly or to or to in any way not recognize the power of shame to keep you hidden. This needs to be a place. If the church was truly a place where people could be exposed with what is shameful in them, it would transform this world. That's why Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 and verse 26, gives these instructions to Timothy, a young preacher, trying to help him to really be clear about the fact that when people feel broken or they're in this place where they're even thinking about moving into this place, he says to them, he says, listen to these words, gently instruct them and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Do you notice what word he, he, he let off with? Gently. There's, there's not this sense of shame and guilt. That's not what this is about today at all. It is not this sense that you're an idiot. It is the fact that we are all fallen people. Each and every one of us has sinned. Every one of us have areas where we are tempted. Every one of us has probably been in a trap of temptation. And every one of us who has actually moved to it and continue on the hero walk has had to come to a place to recognize that shame is the thing that keeps you trapped and keeps you captured. And if you live in that shame and you don't let anyone else see it, or you think they're not seeing it, which is usually the case because most people have an idea, it will, it will keep you captive to the enemy's will. And so if you look at Proverbs 7, we're going to look at this today. If you look at Proverbs 7, it breaks down into three sections. And the first five verses of this are, are just pure instruction. It's what I call um, watch and prepare for temptation. If you want to deal with temptation, understanding its shame is so central to all of it, you need to have this understanding that you need to watch and prepare. That's verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 23, then is this long portrayal. Okay, preparation then is what I would call this portrayal or picture of the power of the seduction of temptation. And he uses this picture then again of, of, of a promiscuous woman and uses this idea of the strong urge of sexuality because in sexuality it is one of those deep places with another person where you are naked and unashamed and you want to be known and you want to be loved. 
And so he uses this picture, and we go through these pictures of this in verses 6 through 23. And then as you get to verses 24 through 27, the last four verses are, are words of instruction again. This time it's not about preparation, it's not the portrayal or illustration of this whole seductive power of temptation. Now he's kind of concluding with this. He says, listen, if I haven't got your attention yet, here's one thing you need to know. There is great peril, there is a great price that will be paid if you allow the shame and your desires to keep you in a place where you are captured. And so he, he's calling to people who are in a place where he's praying they will come to God, this wisdom, and allow that to work in their hearts and life so that they can escape the trap that they're in. Okay? So that's kind of the picture of what it's going to go. So the first five verses, well, I should probably say this as well. The reason I use this word watch is because it's very familiar even in the life of Jesus. Jesus, if you realize it, he, he, you know, God, he's baptized and then the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son, I'm really pleased with this guy, this is wonderful. And he, and he, and Jesus has this deep sense of God, the Father speaking before everybody, his identity, he feels deeply loved. And then Mark tells us that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, because he goes into the wilderness, wilderness are places of temptation. And in this wilderness temptation, he faces three of them for 40 days, and he has to overcome that. Well, what you find in his life is, is that later on, right before the cross, there is another opportunity where Satan comes to him to tempt him. And he comes to him and he says, you know, don't do the cross. And so in that prayer, as he's in the garden, it's after his, right before his betrayal and arrest, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying and he says, Father, if you could just take this away, I'd really be thrilled. But I'm going to do your will, not my will. And then, and then listen to what he says as well. He goes on and he, he, he talks to Peter and he talks to the disciples and he says this very interesting thing. He, he basically says to him, guys, you don't have to take the bait of temptation that you're going to face in just a few moments. You don't have to deny me, Peter, and you don't have to desert me, guys. If you do this, listen to what it says. They went to a place, Mark chapter 14, verse 32 and verse 37 and 38. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And I love Jesus because he is the consummate leader and coach who never asks his team to do anything he himself won't do. He says, take up your cross, but he himself is taking up the cross. He says to them, if you read this here, as he goes out to pray, as he's watching and praying in this time of temptation, it says, then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for one hour? Be alert, be aware, recognize what's going on in this moment. And listen to what he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Key words for life. Watch and pray. And so this first one in verses 1 through 5 is this idea of watch and prepare. In a prayerful heart, being prepared on a regular basis because you don't have to fall, but we will because we're sinners. But the goal is to strengthen the muscle of our character so that when those temptations come in the future, we have the ability to defeat and overcome them. So, very first five verses, we'll take a look at this. It says, follow my advice, son. 
Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Love wisdom like a sister. Make insight a beloved member of your family. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman, from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. These first five verses are basically two things. Get to know God and get to know yourself. He's, he's making it really clear. You can see it again and again about, you know, as you look at the word of God, follow my advice and treasure my commands and, and basically me wisdom. Listen to me. Basically get to know God. It's what he says from Proverbs 1. He calls right away. He says the beginning of all wisdom. If you want to know the foundation of it all, it's fear of God. It means a reverence. What I've been talking about is an interactive relationship with God because you know best what you interact with. And if you really want to get to know God, you have to begin to say, I am going to interact with God on a regular basis, which will mean that in your heart and in your life, there's going to be some disciplines that you have to do. There are going to be some exercises you must take to strengthen the muscle of your relationship with God. So as you strengthen the muscle of your relationship with God, you also begin to understand because God always gives self-understanding what it is about you with regard to both your weaknesses and the things and the reason underneath why you are tempted. Does that make sense? So when he talks about an interactive relationship with God, he's basically saying, if you really want to be the kind of person that grows in the muscle of that ability to walk with me and continue to walk with me, one of the things you have to do is walk with me. You have to begin to interact with me. And he makes some, some statements that I think are, are fairly clear. He says, if you want to um, know me, you need to become a student of my word. Okay. So in this interactive relationship that you live with God on a daily basis, so that as you begin to grow in your ability, it says pray always, pray always. That doesn't mean going and walking around like this praying. It means that you are in a prayerful heart, that you're aware, that you're living with an awareness of God in your life. But one of the ways you build an awareness of God in your life through the Holy Spirit speaking to you is learning how the Holy Spirit speaks to you through his word. So you have to become a student of God's word. And and there's a number of ways to do that. But you have to take this seriously. You have to begin to say on a regular basis, consistently, I'm going to spend some time reading God's word. And you're going, but I have such a hard time. There has never been a time in history where God's word is more accessible. You can buy Bibles that actually have little commentaries next to them that actually help you understand it. There's never been a time in history that the word of God is more accessible to them. There were times when people didn't have the Bible. So they would go and they would, you know, go to the the synagogue or different places in the church where they would hear someone who had scripture and then they would kind of have it taught. So they would study God's word. So part of it is reading God's word. Part of it is just that. Am I going to study God's word? And it's not, you know, it can be a Sunday by Sunday regular routine of, of a church where, where God is speaking, hopefully through the pastor, using scripture to kind of help you understand it, to, to work into your life. That's part of being interactive with God. And then there's another step. If you really want to get serious about letting this word of God become a part of you, then it's what I call meditating on it. It's doing things like, you know, you take five minutes, you read God's word, you, you, you begin to kind of just think about it for a little bit. Um, 
I, I write because for me, it slows my, my mind down. It keeps me from drifting everywhere else. It forces me. I don't type even. I, it forces me. Why am I doing this with my right hand? I'm left-handed. It forces me <laughs> to slow down, to interact with God. You can do that by taking the scripture and, 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 and maybe your little phone and, and, and listening to it and going for a walk. Turning it on in your car. And then there's memorizing scripture. That's for all of you who want to take it a step further. I, I'm really grateful at one point in my life, I don't know who challenged me, I don't even remember, but I, I wasn't in like a navigator's thing or some kind of group. I, I just felt challenged to begin to memorize scripture. So I went to the store, found a little, let's call it like a little navigator verse card, and I just began to memorize those. There is something about the word of God in your heart. Now, there's a second thing in this, is as you get to know God, God is such an incredible person. You know, whenever you get to know someone else, you kind of get to know yourself a little bit, right? Anybody been here? Anybody married here? Anybody know yourself better after being married? You should. Because that person sees things you don't see. And you're trying to change them to not see it, Right? Oh, I'm not like that. When you walk with God, if your heart is humble and you're open, guess what? You'll get to know you. He'll point you out through his word. At times you go, man, ooh, that really hits. Holy Spirit has a wonderful way of doing that. He'll point it out as you're in, if, if you take time to get in a group with other people and, 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 and actually seek to expose your life. One of the things I don't like about certain study groups, I'm glad at least they study scripture, but what I don't sometimes like is when it's just all up here in your head and people aren't really real with each other. Boy, if you want to get to know God and get to know yourself, move to a level where you start being vulnerable. It's the best thing for you if you really want to walk with God. And so you get to know yourself. And one of the things you, you become as a student now, not just of, of, of God's word, but you become a student of your own self, which means you begin to start understanding what some of your weaknesses are. Where and when are you most likely to be tempted? Where are the times and what are the times and places where temptation seems to hit you? And you need to be a student not only of yourself with regard to, to, to your weaknesses, but why you're tempted. This is the huge thing in this whole thing. I'll just see. What is alive in you that gets tempted? Everyone gets tempted in different ways. We all have some common things, but every one of us have some different temptations. Something in us is alive. And I say that because if you ever, how many on a Thanksgiving day eat a really big meal and are just stuffed to the gills? And then when they say, hey, another round of turkey? Or another piece of apple pie or pumpkin pie. How many of you are going, I'm done? Why? Because there's nothing alive in you any longer. You're full. It says that, 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 that Satan had no hold on him, on Jesus, because he was full of his father's love. His identity was so in line with the fact of how loved he was that his father would provide for him. Didn't mean he didn't go through real temptations and have to lead on the Holy Spirit, but there was this deep sense of fullness that God wants you to have and wants me to have. And so what you need to understand is that there's something in your, that's motivating this. There's a desire that is not being met. Temptation, and this is worth writing down, okay? I don't say a lot, but temptation is merely taking what you think is a shortcut to meet a deeper need. You get that? 
It's merely the chief substitute to what the deeper need is. And there's all kinds of ways we could illustrate this. Um, There is binge eating. You could talk about shopping or pornography or being a workaholic. And every one of these have degrees of shame in our culture. You know, some are worse than others, you know. It's okay in many ways for a guy who's trying to make his career success being a workaholic and and, and avoiding and not being present to his family. But, you know, if you're binge eating, that's, whoa. Or if you're in pornography and you're trapped in an affair or something like that, we we, we, we have these levels of shame. God doesn't have that. Because he just knows that anything we get trapped by keeps us from walking with him in the fullness that he's called us to be walking with him in. So as you get to know God, you begin to understand what your deeper needs are. And you begin to understand that um, there are underneath your every temptation that's excited by what's out there is a real legitimate need. You have to get real with that. There is a legitimate need that wants to get the potato chip rather than the vegetables, right? Yeah, and everyone's going, you should say that. Just my personal struggle, I'll kind of open up um, with you. Like so many young men, when I was in my early teen years, I um, had access to and exposure to pornography. And I got to just tell you, because this is true for any, talk to any guys who can be real about it, that that has a way of forming a habit. You don't even understand fully what's going on. And I remember I wrestled with that. It was part of what God used to help me bring myself to a sense of dependence and faith in Christ. And so when I was working, processing through that, through college, there was a time, part of the reason I think it was that I even memorized verses and stuff, I thought like if I could just strong my way, you know, strong, uh, white knuckle my way through this, I'd be okay. You know, accountability groups are great and being those kind of things. Things, but you're only as accountable as you really want to because if your shame gets strong enough, you're not going to, you're going to lie. Be honest. And so in that whole setting, I remember in my early years of marriage and, 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 and dealing with this and, 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 and the shame and the guilt and all this. And then I, I remember meeting with some guys where I, here I'm a pastor, I meet with these guys and I just open up and, and I say, I want to read some stuff. We read Larry um, Crabb's book, Inside Out, and, and what happened in that study was God was saying, gosh, what is tempting you, no matter what it is, is a real need. And what was that real need? It was a need to feel known and loved. And what does that look like? It means that when I was feeling lonely, when I felt worthless, when I don't feel like I'm getting results, when I'm not feeling success, when I don't think you're looking at me and feeling good about me, it makes me want to medicate. It makes me want to take the pain of my soul and do something in order to deaden the pain and heighten pleasure. I don't care if it's um, an adrenaline rush that you might need or if it's working like crazy to get whatever you think the dollar amount is as you avoid and, and don't engage in family. It doesn't matter if it's binge eating. It doesn't matter if it's alcohol. I don't care what the temptation is. It's usually on a legitimate need. And the wisdom of God says, the reason I want you to know me and interact with me is because if you do that and you interact with other people and you get real about what's going on, Jesus will heal you. He'll come to you. You have to know that Jesus is not lying about that. But the first step out of it is recognizing the shame that keeps you trapped 
and the exposure that allows you to get real with it. And victory begins to dwell in the place where you're in a place with some who know you and you begin to know yourself and you know God's word and then God through his Holy Spirit begins to build the muscle of whatever it is that still is a temptation because every one of us will still have temptations throughout our life. I didn't mean to get into this much of it, but you know, maybe this is where God wants me to be for a moment. You need to be a student of you. You need to come to grips with the fact, do you want to live in guilt and shame? Because it, it, it just gets worse. Or do you want to just say, I'm through with that. I want to identify the, the real need. I'm, I'm going to go into counseling. I'm going to go talk to someone who loves me and is safe. I'm going to start to say, God, I, I don't want to be trapped by this anymore. But I also want to speak to you who aren't trapped yet. Because this is what this is about. If you want to prepare your heart so you don't get trapped... You need to take this seriously. You need to get to know God in a very interactive way through his word so that you get to know yourself. If you look at the second part of this passage, I just want to watch um, kind of the portrayal of how this works, okay? The author, probably Solomon, gives an illustration. After this brief instruction of the preparation so that you won't fall, he now moves into this. And that, again, remember, it's knowing God, knowing yourself, so that you can be prepared, so that you don't have to, like Peter, you don't have to, des- you don't have to deny Christ if you are overt. But Jesus, here's how gracious he is. He even knew he would, right? And he still went after him and restored him. He's, he's, if you've fallen, he'll restore you. If you just will, like Peter just said, okay, Jesus, I'll accept your love. So, um, Proverbs seven six to twenty three. As I stood at the window of my house, looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense. That's the word in. There's three words in the in the Hebrew in Proverbs for fool. One of them is naive, simple minded. One of them is this idea of a of a um, a mocker who is kind of a phony who mocks it in his heart, and he's a hypocrite. And then the other is a scoffer, one who just not only mocks it, but he just outright rejects it and goes, God, your way's crazy. I'm not following that. That's stupid. And he makes fun of it. So here's these three words. This word is this one of a simpleton, someone who's naive. And he's basically saying in this, every temptation that comes to you, as is portrayed here, is a test. It'll either, it'll either strengthen you in your character or through the indulging will weaken it. That's, that's the first part. So then he goes through in his patrol and he says, it was um, at the corner of the street where she lived and turning up the path to her house. It was dusk, catch this, it was dusk and evening coming on, darkness thickening into night. And, and here's what I just call about the importance of times and places. You get to know yourself. You need to know when your needs are, legitimate needs are in a certain place and you need to recognize those kind of places of darkness. Those places that might, you know, like if you have a real problem with eating sweets, it's just not wise to go to Dairy Queen, right? And so here's what's going on. So here, it was dust. And then the woman met him, and she'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him, brazen and brash she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every corner in the town. And you'll see this when it comes to wisdom. It has a similar picture about everywhere. The idea is that temptation is waiting anywhere and everywhere for you. 
You know, when I showed you the story of Christ, it says that when he went through the 40 days of temptation, that he came back, it says he, he came back in the power of the spirit. But just before that, it says Satan left him and was waiting for an opportune time. There's an opportune time. And so part of this is there's just an opportune time that's taking place here in verses 8 through 9. And, and then through verses 11 and 12. Restless and roaming, streets of temptation, lies and wait, ready to seduce, preying on real needs. And then the always what I call subductive nature of temptation is what you find in verses 13 through 18. The bait is captivating. There's a real need and there's a real sense of this. So at least momentarily get me out of the pain or whatever it might be. Its purpose is to hook you. I was watching something, and um, some of you might, I, I'm not into this, but what's that kind of fighting that you just kill people? What is it? Um, extreme fighting, I think. There's two moves that they're not allowed to do. One is gouging your eye, which kind of makes sense. And the other is fish hooking. You know what fish hooking is? Stick on a that. I mean... I'm not fully sure what that is, but it's a great picture of what happens and what temptation is talking about here. If it can get its hook into you, it can begin to pull your will with its will, just like you would a fish, into its own trap. So you have this idea. It goes on, seductive in nature, verses 13 through 18. Verses 19 through 21 is this idea of the rationalization that takes place in the portrayal of this picture. Um, and, and it's the idea that no one will know. My husband's not home, he's away on business, and he won't be back for a month. Watch rationalizations. One of the great reasons to be in fellowship and relationship with other people. And then the last is verse 20 through 23 is what I call the trap, your will. There's kind of this humorous but devastating, before you know it, she's trotting behind you like a calf led to a butcher shop, like a stag lured into ambush, and then shot with an arrow like a bird flying into a net, not flowing, knowing that it's flying, life is over. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come at this time and get kind of set up, because I want to share with you one last point before we go into this last song. And if you look at this instruction, it says, watch out the price of temptation is so costly. If you look at verse 24, it's a simple statement. Take temptation seriously. So friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. So here is what I want to ask you. I want you to be really honest. What are you doing to prepare your heart for temptation? Are you serious about getting to know God through his word? Are you serious about getting to know yourself? That can happen through just a study of God's word, through getting involved in a small group. If you have trouble, those are ways to keep you consistent. And then verse 25 is simply don't play with fire. Listen to it says, don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. And I just ask you, seriously, what neighborhood are you in? What story of temptation are you in? And I'm just going to name a few. It could be financial bondage. And I can tell you, I know there's great shame when you find yourself in that place. But there are people here. I can get people around you if you just call that can help you begin to deal with um, getting your finances in order. Marriage. 
Are you looking at others or trying to take the cheap path? Or are you going to actually face one another and move towards each other? And one of the ways to do that, folks, is through counseling. There is an opportunity for you to kind of open up your heart. Let's talk about sexuality and gender. It's big in our literature, you know, what we see in, in, in social media and in, in our culture. Are you experiencing same-sex attraction or are you not sure how you fit into your gender? Has your sexuality or feeling around your gender caused you to wonder whether God loves you or not? Have you ever talked with anybody about it? Do you know someone who is safe and won't condemn you for the feelings that's going on? I just want to share with you that Bruce and I, a couple years ago, were able to go to a, a, a conference where we were able to understand in a much deeper sense of how this whole um, uh, gender uh, confusion, all this stuff, um, is occurring in our church. And if you are interested to finding out more, Bruce will be at the next step place. He has some booklets that are from that that I think are really helpful. But if you're in a place like that, we, we love you. This is not a place... We're not condemning. We're just coming around you to say, hey, let's get these things ordered according to Scripture. Addictions, they come in all kinds of ways. Maybe you're trapped in abuse. I often will say, it's usually to women, if you're in a really abusive situation, would you allow your daughter to be in that? This might be a good question to ask. Maybe you're driven for success. So verse 26 is basically recognize where you're at and then make plans to do something. And then count the cost. These words are pretty strong. She runs a halfway house to hell and fits you with a shroud and a coffin. And I ask you just going to pray for a second just quietly before the Lord whatever he's placed in your heart right now, um, allow him to come into whatever you might be sensing or experiencing. Let Jesus, just, just invite Jesus into this.